Welcome to Beyond the Screen, an Ionis podcast, where we share insights and tips to help you scale your business's online presence, hosting genuine conversations with the best in the web and IT industry, and exploring how the Ionis brand can help professionals and customers with their hosting and cloud issues. We're your hosts, Joe Nash and Liz Moy. Hi, and welcome to the Beyond the Screen podcast. My name is Joe Nash, and I'm your host for today. And I'm joined by Ran Sangera, who has 15 years of experience in the sustainability field and is now head of sustainability for Ionos. Ran, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, nice to meet you, Joe. Thanks for the introduction. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And we're very excited to have you on the show today and to chat about all things sustainability. And I guess to kick us off, we should deal with the nomenclature and, and get that out of the way. Can you run us through what is sustainability? I mean, yeah, that's a really good question. I think probably one that I have to deal with on a kind of day-to-day basis. I think how I actually normally approach that question is I try to break down the preconceptions that you know people might have of what they think is sustainability. So commonly, I think it naturally you know leans into environmental topics, specifically climate change. And the second one is also to do with charitable efforts or you know supporting your local community. And those are obviously, you know, really core parts of sustainability. But I think what people maybe don't realize is that sustainability is such a broad topic, encompasses so many different aspects. And I think maybe to give you a little bit more detail on those, you know, the planet, climate change is, you know, an intrinsic part of sustainability. But I think even within that planet or environmental pillar, people sometimes forget about biodiversity, water use, you know, pollution all those other aspects of the environment, but they also link to, you know, climate change. For sure. I think another aspect of sustainability that is maybe a little bit under the radar is the people topic as well. So diversity and inclusion is obviously a big part of that, how you engage with your local communities that I mentioned. But what I think also surprises people is when I tell them that sustainability is also about how a company focuses on their company culture what they're doing to ensure that they have strategies in place to attract talent, to retain them, that they're working on employee engagement, um, and then also like health and safety um, and other aspects like that. And then where it gets really kind of gray, where people get really surprised about this is sustainability, is that there's a whole range of governance, compliance, regulatory topics, you know, data privacy, information security is also, you know, to do with sustainability, how you look at sustainability within your supply chains, reaching out to your suppliers. So, you know, long story short, what I'm trying to say is it's really complex, but my favorite definition of sustainability is that I see sustainability as essentially a business strategy that allows a company to create long-term value with a specific focus on planet, people, and profit. And that's what I never forget about. For me, sustainability makes good business sense. Right. And every sustainability measure or initiative should be adding value to the company. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I think the encapsulation of that, you know, planet, people and profit, I think does a lot to capture the myriad areas that you spoke about. So you said a whole bunch there. So we're going to jump around a little bit as we go back and forth on that. So I guess to cover that, you know, really broad base of things that sustainability means, I also imagine that means there's lots of ways that people come into this field. So what was your journey? How did you end up, you know, with this interest and finding yourself as head of sustainability at Ionos? 
Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> you know, there's 15 years there. I tried to keep it like a sure. short and snappy rather than give you like my life story. Yeah. But I think when I started off in sustainability, I wasn't really sure. Well, back then it was a very, very new emerging niche field, not like how it is today. I didn't have a broad choice of jobs to um, jump into. So I started off in the NGO charity sector with an organization called uh, Friends of the Earth. I was focusing on sustainable food initiatives, making local communities aware that benefits of local food and reducing their environmental impact. But I think there I quickly realized that I wanted to work on the corporate side of sustainability. Then I became an environmental business consultant with small to medium-sized businesses, local shop owners, SMBs, uh, small manufacturers. And then I went completely in the opposite direction. And then I became a consultant for investors. That's also where people aren't aware that one of the main reasons why sustainability is really becoming so important now is that there's investors pushing the agenda and they want companies to become more sustainable. I did that for about 10 years. And then I realized whilst I had a great time being a consultant, that essentially that I wanted to work with larger companies on sustainability, be actually, you know, on the ground floor, um, driving the measures, educating the people that have the power and resources to you know, make a difference. And then I ended up at Ionos. Awesome. Yeah, it's a really great point about what you said about investors. It's interesting. I'm, I'm starting to get the sense that the fact that, you know, that is one of the areas where change is being driven is starting to penetrate the mainstream because you see more and more kind of news items breaking about so-and-so big hedge fund no longer will take these stocks, etc. It does seem there is a sea change there. Yeah, thank you for running us through that gauntlet of 15 years of history. Really appreciate it. So to go back to your introduction to sustainability, you mentioned lots of figures who I guess we could call stakeholders in the future of the planet. Maybe that's a bit of a corporate term for it. But in terms of, you know, driving this change for you and for Onus as a company, which of those stakeholders stakeholders from, you know, the people to the customers to the policymakers is most driving that change for you? When I mentioned all those different elements of sustainability, I think every stakeholder has a different interest or driver or uh, topics of sustainability that they're interested in. And then I don't want to downplay that one interest is more important than the other. I think I'm probably biased to a point where I've worked for the majority of my career with investors. I know that they have money and the power to force companies to drive change. So by and large, I think for me and because of my background, they will always be the most important stakeholder. Companies might not always see the value behind sustainability or particularly understand what it's about, You know, particularly with that a lot of companies might focus more on the short-term, medium-term profitability rather than seeing addition to long-term value. So for me, investors are great at like driving change. They're involved in that regulatory sphere where they're working with, you know, the EU committees and you know policymakers to create legislation that drives companies forward on the agenda. So I think. Yeah, a lot of sustainability managers are unfortunately quite cynical people, I think, would like to think that people have good intentions at heart, but sometimes people just need to be like, you know, pushed forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think within driving any change, there's always a certain amount of working within the existing incentive structure, right? And it seems like investors are key to that incentive structure for, you know, the way that the environment the business is currently operating. So that makes total sense to me. Yeah, I think there's also other stakeholders within that sphere, and they're also important. So for me, you know, employees for one example, right? Sustainability and diversity and those talent attraction retention initiatives is a way to keep 
your employees engaged at the company, keep them happy, which makes them productive. That's also you know, equally important. Another reason why sustainability is becoming you know more and more apparent in the media is because there's larger companies who are reaching out to their suppliers and driving that change. But it's also coming from the other side of customers where companies have like, you know, larger customers, they're reaching out and they want to work with sustainable companies and suppliers. So it's like folks who are making sure the whole supply chain is sustainable. So, you know, come down from your customers, you want to make sure they're using sustainable services from your end. And then equally for NS, you want to be making sure that things downstream are sustainable. That makes sense. And I guess it's a beneficial knock-on effect for everyone. So I guess before we move on to, I guess, Tyrannus' specific sustainability context, while we're just at this higher level, what are some common misconceptions people have about sustainability? What are some challenges you face in, you know, communicating these concepts? There's a lot of different preconceptions I have, but I guess now, you know, focusing on the digital sustainability aspect in particular, you know, from the conversations that I've had with not our customers specifically, but, you know, developers, people with a lot more technical knowledge than, you know, I will ever have. There's either one, uh, two polar extremes. So there's one that the impact of digital sustainability isn't so significant. And so I think people don't, like you said, with the title of the podcast, people don't think beyond the screen, they essentially think, you know, there's the battery to power my phone, there's the battery to power my laptop, maybe my laptop was manufactured, you know, somewhere in a factory, but you know, that's essentially it. And then there's the other flip side, which is just a lot of, you know, like clickbait articles of the internet, you know, is killing the planet, the internet has like, you know, double the amount of carbon emissions than the airline industry. And in reality, you know, I'm not trying to say like digital sustainability is perfect and there's no impact, but it's kind of like a middle ground. But it's understandable that, you know, people have these, I guess, preconceptions. I guess the other aspect as well is that people always think sustainability is purely about being green and environmental sustainability, bringing them back to that sustainability isn't just add-on. It's not this additional cost. It makes like a nice bit of marketing for the company. When I see it, it's, it's really like measures will create long-term you know, value for your company. And I could like list off so many different examples of that. And it's part of my job to make people see the value of sustainability rather than it being this nice to have additional add-on extra. Yeah, the point about, I guess, the challenges digital sustainability in general and for a consumer to grapple with digital sustainability, they already need to have a certain level of literacy about how the cloud even works and what's happening on their client devices and those kind of things, which is you know a lot to ask for the vast majority of consumers. I hadn't thought about that angle on it before. That must be quite the challenge. So I think that leads us nicely into talking about why sustainability matters for a cloud provider at all. I mean, obviously, I guess first up, we have just the size of the operations, right? You're operating a lot of data centers and these are electricity consuming situations. Like what are the fundamental challenges for a cloud provider in the sustainability field? So I guess the challenges, I think how we address those challenges and those material impacts and IONOS focuses on, you know, environmental sustainability, like so to start. So, you know, beyond the screen, we have data centers, you know, the infrastructure that essentially that we use to provide services and products to our customers. So significant amount of energy consumption, significant amount of IT and server waste that is created. So in terms of environmental sustainability, climate change, energy, and circular economy, which in short, you know, is to do with recycling, reuse, and refurbishment. Those are the key material impacts that we have in terms of environmental sustainability. So, you know, how we go about addressing those 
you know, when I talk about what Ionos does, I always like to back that up with facts and figures because that's what I'm always looking for from (laughs) other companies, right? So not just, you know, this is what sustainability means, like, you know, what's the actual initiatives, the facts and figures to back that up. So I'm really actually proud to say that, you know, since 2018, despite actually continuing to grow as a company during that time, we've actually been able to reduce our absolute energy consumption by about 9%. So the reason why we've been able to reduce our absolute energy consumption is technology develops rapidly and that's obviously helping us to reduce our energy consumption. But we have a dedicated energy management team in place and we had done for like, you know, several years. We've got an energy management system in place, you know, it's externally certified. And within that, for each of our 11 owned data centers, we have energy efficiency targets for each individual data center every year. And that means we We'll do an evaluation. We identify how we can, you know, improve energy efficiency. We do retrofits, refurbishments, upgrades. We invest in new technologies and equipment. And yeah, that helped us like, you know, on that journey. On the circular economy part, that's where in d- different countries are we working. We have a lot of different green IT partners. So, you know, using the German and French data centers as an example, we work with an organization called AFB. Okay. And AFB is once IT equipment or servers get to the end of life, this organization will come, they come and collect the equipment, and then they will actively work to take it apart, determine what can be recycled, what can be refurbished, what can be, you know, resold. What I particularly like about AFB is whilst they're helping us with the environmental impact, you know, recycling, reuse, refurbishment, they're also a majority of employer of people with disabilities, more than 50%. So they're not only helping us to create an environmental impact, they're also helping us create like a social impact as well. You know, the data centers being quite large installations, I imagine they have a sizable economic footprint in terms of, you know, providing jobs to local areas and being able to utilize companies like that further increases, you know, the economic opportunities that your center is able to offer to an area they situate in, I guess, anyway. So we've also had like 100% renewable electricity for many years. We have backup generators for the data centers and we use diesel and it's unavoidable. Any like organization that has a data center, the vast majority of them have to use diesel, you know, for their backup generators. That's a very small part of our carbon emissions and uh, we use trusted offsets. But we only use trusted carbon offsets as the absolute last step. It's not the first step. And combined with the 100% renewable electricity for all of our own data centers and offsetting the minimal amount of diesel emissions, I don't like using the term climate neutral, but it helps us to avoid and reduce a significant amount of our carbon emissions to the point where you could say we're you know, climate neutral for our direct operations. Okay, so I want to dig into a couple of things there just for folks who, you know, haven't encountered a lot of the challenges of working with offsets or climate neutrality. So you mentioned, you know, that you don't want to use the word climate neutral and you mentioned trusted offsets. Like why both those disclaimers? Yeah, this comes back to the kind of preconceptions question. And my feeling is that customers can get bamboozled with the amount of, you know, terms that are out there. Yeah. To the point where even, I won't lie, even I'm still bamboozled, you know, by them. I'm like, you know, climate neutral, carbon positive, carbon negative, <laughs> net zero science-based targets initiative, right. you know. Yeah. <laughs> so if I'm bamboozled, imagine like, you know, how our customers think. So for me, a company can make the broad claim and say, hey man, we're climate neutral. Throw some pictures of the trees on their website. Everything's great. But for me, it's like, how do you achieve that climate neutral claim? 
Is it because you purchase some low quality, really cheap carbon offsets somewhere? And that allows you to make that claim and mislead your customer. So that's why I avoid using that term to be much clearer about, look, this is how we avoid carbon through, you know, renewable electricity, through reusing and refurbishing IT servers. And this is where we offset as a last step, particularly with trusted projects, because it's growing kind of exponentially uh, all of these different carbon offset projects, lots of different companies springing up in lots of different parts of the world. And I think if you Google it and look in the news, there's a lot of like criticism that's being directed that maybe that these projects don't work. They haven't been properly evaluated. Maybe they're even actually causing environmental damage. Right. So I think that's where there's a big responsibility on companies to not say, we just want to offset. So where's the cheapest, quickest provider that we can find? It's more about a quality provider that's gone through some kind of evaluation so, you know, Iona specifically, we don't publicize the offsets or the projects that we support because we want to put more focus on the carbon reduction and avoidance and energy efficiency initiatives. But yeah, we've evaluated a list of suppliers and the projects and we're like, okay, we want to support these ones because they seem good. They seem to be doing the thing they say they are doing, which... Exactly, yeah. We had a new uh, data center come online in Worcester, UK in October of last year. And I think for us going forward, it's really setting the blueprint of how we will move forward with environmental sustainability. Firstly, it's going to be one of our most energy efficient data centers. I mentioned that the carbon emissions from diesel backup generators, yeah. we're actually going to have biofuel powered generators, which will help us to reduce the carbon emissions from diesel by 90%. The steel that was used in its construction was carbon offset with trusted suppliers. And for the very first time, we also actually integrated uh, biodiversity aspects into it. And that was a key consideration. So B and Bug Hotels to support, you know, the local biodiversity, in addition to all of the other 100% renewable electricity. Yeah, no, I mean, as a big topic, we can jump around and I'm going to make you do it right now. So we spoke, lots of people think just climate and they think CO2 and they think global warming. Biodiversity is obviously a hugely important part of sustainability and is, in fact, you know, why a lot of that is important. Can you briefly explain to folks like what you mean when you say biodiversity and why you're interested in preserving it? Yeah. So in terms of our business sector, biodiversity isn't the biggest environmental priority. It's like, you know, climate change, energy, secular economy. But we have sites, you know, and we can support the local biodiversity within those regions. So what I mean by biodiversity is Flora and fauna, insects, plants, you know, local wildlife, what simple measures or installations can we put in place that could just very easily support local biodiversity? So there's not just Ionus, but there's also other data center operators that have that in mind. And yeah. the primary one is that we can support increased insect populations by just having bee, bug, insect hotels on site. It's a low cost, you know, measure that can have a big impact. Yeah, that's a hugely important one, especially for the UK, which has seen some quite precipitous insect number drops. I'm very excited to hear that. Okay, awesome. So I want to give you space to mention some of the other aspects. I think I shoehorned you a bit there into the environmental challenges specifically. You did also mention you work with the AFB, but I think one area which was new to me from your introduction that I hadn't appreciated a whole bunch was the employee engagement aspect. I guess what we were just saying about consumers and their exposure to the data centers must to a certain extent be true for employees of owners as well. Like obviously, I don't know whether the vast majority the company is going into these day on day like how does this thread follow through to your employees and the employee engagement piece we have a really strong focus on diversity
diversity and inclusion ionos like and it's so important for the people who work here we're a very like you know diverse company we have more than 60 different nationalities that work ionos and you know starting with the data you know first to show like how we've improved over the last year so since about 2018 i think in 2018 we had 45 nationalities and today we've got more than 60 in terms of gender diversity, I think in 2018, we had about 18.5% women in management. And today it's more than 24%. So still not perfect. You know, there's still a long way to go, but, you know, it's slowly moving in the right direction. For sure. And I like in particular that what you said there was women in management and not just women at the company in general. Exactly. Right? That yeah. Is, yeah, 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 that's great to see I mean, those numbers um, move up in particular. Yeah, I mean... Women at the company is higher, it's, you know, closer to about 30%. It's moving in the right direction. It's not perfect, but there's momentum there. And the momentum exists because for the last three or four years, we've had a strong focus on diversity and inclusion. So firstly, we've made ourselves accountable. We have a Republic signatory to something called the Charter of Diversity, which means every year we will publish about our diversity efforts. For our parent company, we actually have a head of diversity in place with a team responsible for driving those efforts. In addition, we really focus on making employees aware about diversity and inclusion. If you create awareness, then obviously. And we create awareness through, we have an annual event called Diversity Days. And essentially what we do is we crowdsource ideas and topics from all the different employees. And we will have a two to three day event where we have like webinars, presentations, quizzes, in-person, virtual events, just on all various aspects of diversity. And I think what that does is, firstly, you're educating, you're creating awareness, but we're also then giving a platform to all those different diverse groups, uh, our company, to talk about topics that matter to them and giving everybody else an awareness of that. That's also complemented by a lot of uh, different diversity trainings, unconscious bias, inclusive language, gender diversity, and... Another aspect is as well that, you know, I mentioned Diversity Days as a platform for those groups, but we also have a lot of diversity affinity groups, so LGBTQ, international community, groups related to different ages, where all those different groups can come together. They essentially do all of their own, you know, educational awareness initiatives throughout the year. And we also have something called a Women Explore initiative, which is essentially a mentoring program for up-and-coming female talent in the organization. And then every year we'll have a group of about 30 to 50 women who are a part of this and they are supported by role models and mentors. The goal is to mentor them so we can hopefully one day have increased the proportion of women in management at the company. But to end on that, that was like a brief summary of all of the different diversity initiatives we have. One thing that I really love and that I'm a part of this year is that we've actually set a target for all of our managers. Mm -hmm. We're making diversity and inclusion trainings mandatory. So by the end of the year, we want to have 80% of our leaders trained on diversity and inclusion. And that's where now we've accepted like you're a manager, you're a leader, diversity and inclusion is part of your job. And yeah, we're going to be rolling that out over the course of the year. That's excellent to hear, as well as the programs to ensure that training and mentorship from within to reach the higher ranks rather than hiring out is always very exciting to hear in the tech industry broadly, which encourages very rapid job transitions. So that's wonderful. What should customers be looking for to their cloud providers? If I'm a customer and I care about the sustainability of my cloud infrastructure, what should I be looking for? Yeah, so it's important for companies to have long-term targets. So net zero and climate neutral, carbon negative, positive, those are all important. 
but companies shouldn't just be looking for is there a long term 2040 50 you know 60 target sure. those are important you know i'm yeah. not, not downplaying that but they really need to be supported by shorter term targets and what are the actual initiatives and measures that have happened in the last years or also happening like you know the short to medium term that's really important for me and i think maybe that's where those longer term targets can be impressive like on paper but yeah it's easy to say you're going to do something you know 20 years from now what's actually happening at the current moment so that would be one thing for me also secondly when we're discussing the carbon offsets aspect is customers should really look for what's actually happening in the company's direct operations you know is it renewable electricity, solar panels, all essentially all those different examples of initiatives that I mentioned at IONOS. So tree planting initiatives are good, you know, supporting forest regeneration. I mean, those are excellent, but in a part, if a company doesn't have sustainability initiatives in their direct operations, it's kind of paying, you know, to solve a solution somewhere else in a different country. Yeah. So this is, it's not bad, but it needs to be both, not one or the other. It shouldn't just be a long-term target. It should be short-term and long-term. It shouldn't just be carbon offsets. It should be direct operations, annual value chains. Also look for data, but I'm a sustainability manager. So, you know, <laughs> sustainability data is my life. I see data. Sure. I'm happy whether it's improving, deteriorating, gives us something to work from. That's something a customer should be looking for, that transparency of is this company willing to tell you if they're improving, deteriorate? Even if the company performance is going down, I think customers should still be value that the company is being transparent or, or share this data. That's one. Maybe even more so than positive results, right? Exactly, like it means yeah. a lot when they're publishing exactly. that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So bearing in mind, you know, what you said there about what you consider customers should be looking for now and how they're thinking about their operations today, obviously not delaying everything to the future and putting off those future goals, as we said, but what does sustainability look like in the next five to 10 years? Like, what do you think the perceptions and expectations of people will be for companies like Ionos in five to 10 years time? One kind of sentence that I always hear kind of like rubs me the wrong way a little bit is when people are like, you know, sustainability is becoming more important. And I've kind of heard that for like the last 15 years or 20 years, right? Like sustainability is becoming more important. And I'm like, yes, it's always been important. It's always been becoming more important, but the scope of stakeholders and the people that are becoming more aware is changing. And I think that will continue to expand. We'll still continue to hear five, 10 years from now, sustainability is becoming more important, but those severe impacts of climate change, the economic impacts will become more severe and apparent. And then that's where where I mentioned that the preconceptions of you know where people are like oh sustainability is this nice to have I think a lot of companies will become aware this is a key means to preserve and create long term value of our company so I mean that's from a expectations news aspect that's where you know I think it will lead so sustainability won't become more important as just the impacts of it will be very apparent to everybody you know, not just us. How else it will change is net zero targets. And that means you're really looking at, you want carbon sustainability data from your suppliers and your value chain. But that is actually really, really difficult at the moment because that data doesn't exist. There's no standards. It's not accurate. So, you know, to achieve net zero, you actually have to essentially work with your supply chain to purchase more carbon friendly raw materials products. But if you don't have the data in place, it's not actually possible. So 
that's when you know companies say net zero by 2040. I'm like, by 2040, it might be possible, but that data is actually you know lacking at the moment. And I think essentially where it needs to happen in the next five to 10 years is so that companies can have more tangible net zero scope three supply chain measures in place. There actually needs to be this data available mm-hmm. somewhere. And considering that the amount of data that is it's not just the data from your suppliers. Those suppliers have suppliers and then their suppliers have suppliers. It's just this endless branching out umbrella of data that all needs to be consolidated together. And whilst I'm not an expert on this, I'm really intrigued by the possibilities of green ledgers or the blockchain to somehow bring all that data together in an online form somewhere where it's readily accessible by companies to actually create tangible measures. I hope it's not too abstract out there for some of the audience members to understand, but it's all about improving the quality of that data so we can create actual tangible measures to move forward. I mean, in terms of people's expectations, that's what one aspect is the data. I think in terms of actual data center sustainability, the next five, 10, 10 years, energy efficiency, technology and measures, they kind of move so fast. It's almost, I don't even think it's possible to envision what a data center will look like, you know, 10 years from now. But I think there's going to be an increased focus on water efficiency, biodiversity. I think by 2030, a lot of data center operators, you know, will have 100% renewable electricity or having completely moved away from diesel emission based backup generators to, I don't know, maybe battery powered ones or, you know, uh, biofuel. And then once those aspects are in place, then you could say all of those data centers are actually climate neutral for their own operations. And then what comes next is a continued focus on energy, water, biodiversity, and other aspects that I can't even imagine yet. Yet one aspect that's being talked about is reusing heat energy, you know, within data centers. In 10 years, that could be one aspect. You know, data centers create heat. And that heat obviously just goes into the atmosphere. It's like waste. Or into water for cooling. And, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Local governments, national governments can create the infrastructure where that can be returned to the local energy grids and can be you know, sent to other locations for heating purposes. So yeah, circular energy heat transfer is essentially what they're calling it. But the current moment, the infrastructure doesn't exist in place. So a lot of data center operators would like to do that, but without actual infrastructure in place, it's more of a future long-term consideration. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Actually, this one's completely out there. You know, I think you're talking about ideas like district heating where, you know, you have like, yeah. yeah, And then data sense keys into that. But I think I saw recently there's now a a swimming pool in the UK that's heated by a data center underneath it or something like that. All kinds of baffling ideas for that. I think that is a really exciting area because it just kind of gets to what you were saying earlier about the importance of looking to companies like direct contributions. If a company is thinking about like, hey, we are producing something here and we should reframe that from waste into how can we use this in its current form, that kind of thinking just shows that they're taking it seriously, right? Which is very exciting to me. Well, I think we're coming up on times. There's been a wonderful overview of all the sustainability and you're doing. You've already shared a little bit about some of the things in the future you're most excited about, but in terms of the future from a technical angle to go to your point about green ledgers, is there any technology right on the horizon, anything that you think is really going to elevate the sustainability game from a technological perspective that you're excited about? Well, you know, I jump on the AI bandwagon like everybody else. And I think there's already some good solid examples out there. 
I'm interested in seeing how potentially data models, AI could be used to improve energy efficiency within the data centers. So something that we've already actually looked at in the past and done some pilot projects, but I think now, obviously, in the last five years, and obviously the software, you know, technology is you know vastly improving. So I think that's something that we could be potentially interested in coming back to. You know, building up data models of our data centers, all the different variables. How can we leverage that to even further improve upon our energy efficiency? Awesome, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Rand. This has been wonderful. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for your time, Joe. Appreciate it. Beyond the Screen, an IONIS podcast. To find out more about IONIS and how we're the go-to source for cutting-edge solutions in web development, visit IONIS.com and then make sure to search for IONIS in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at IONIS, thanks for listening.